What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Makeup has always been a kind of augmented reality, enabling us to alter our looks, conceal blemishes, and enhance our best features. But not everyone's a makeup artist, and not everyone has the time, patience, and money to test out different products and techniques. Enter Face, a skin analysis and facial visualization company aiming to change the way we see ourselves. The Face mirror, which made waves at CES earlier this year, allows users to virtually try on new looks via photorealistic color rendering technology. The proximity-based user interface means you can see yourself in real time as you would look in different shades and styles. Endless palette possibilities are available at the bat of your eyes and the pucker of your lips. On February 3rd, beauty retailer Sephora will announce their virtual artist app powered by Face. The app will connect consumers to lipsticks they love and ultimately products for purchase. Modiface estimates the partnership will increase sales by 31%, which is no small feat in the $500 billion beauty business. On today's episode, my conversation with Parm Arabi, CEO and founder of Modiface. Parm, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. So for folks who don't know what Modiface is, what is it? So we are a technology provider. We have core facial tracking and facial simulation technology that brands use, beauty brands. We put them inside their apps and in stores, and that allows people to see what they look like with different makeup and skincare products under live video. Tell me about some of the clients or projects that you've worked on. So we work with almost every beauty brand, from Sephora to L'Oreal to Procter & Gamble. So every single brand uses our technology in its own unique way. But the end result is the same, showing people what to look like with with their products. And so we're here in Toronto at Modiface headquarters, but your story and the story of the company actually begins in California. Do I have that right? Initially, yeah, at Stanford. So tell me about your work at Stanford. So the relation to Stanford is that at Stanford, we were a team. We were trying to look at the impact of facial recognition on the beauty industry. So there was a work by a Harvard professor on the impact that beauty can have by looking at facial features. So we were analyzing someone's face, looking at the eyebrows, the eyes, and trying to measure what impact different makeup products would have on the perception of beauty, which was something that has certain quantifiable elements. So we began a project. We actually published a paper. Nothing much happened until five years, or actually six years later, when Modiface was born. And so, to back up, I think I read in a TechCrunch article that you were actually working on lip-reading technology for the defense industry. Is that correct? Right. So This is prior to the, the team that was studying beauty. Exactly. So, so when, uh, as part of my PhD and, and after when I was a professor at the University of Toronto, I was doing lip-reading for speech enhancement. So the idea is if someone is 500 meters away and they shout bomb or they mention bomb, you can't really hear it. But if you look at their lips, you can actually find the motion of the lips and from there know what they might be saying. So we were building these lip reading applications and from there we realized our technology could also be used to simulate lipstick because we had the contours of the lips. And that's how Modiface was born. So that is a big jump from what you're doing before into beauty. How were you able to transition? It's quite a big jump on a completely different universe. I've had really good colleagues at Modiface. So I bring that technology know-how, but we have people that are experts in makeup, experts in skincare. And so having that ability that people know a lot about the product and the end users 
has been very helpful. Why did you decide to build your business here? You're, you were living in California. You could have built it in Silicon Valley. Why did you pick Toronto? Well, at the time, I was uh, a professor, and I still am, at the University of Toronto. So that proximity with U of T is quite helpful uh, in both ways. Our technology can benefit what happens at U of T, and U of T students can actually help us. So there's a mutually beneficial relationship. Also, Canada is a great place for starting companies. There's a lot of help from the government, some initial help for startups, and that's been very helpful for us. And so at what moment did you realize the consumer potential of what you were doing? It was with Allergan. And so what what they were doing, um, so but the actual consumer interest came before that. The way Modiface was started was we had this fun application that would take your lips and um, swap it with Angelina Jolie lips. (laughs) And so at that time, we wanted to build this app purely for fun. We put it on the web. We called it Modiface for modify your face. Mm -hmm. And the next day, we had something like 100,000 hits on this site. People just wanted to upload their photos and see what they look like. So that told me there was something there. People love playing with their photos, experimenting with different looks, even if they look crazy or fun. And that was the first taste that we had that there was a consumer interest here. Fun and experimentation seems to be a, you know built into your company culture. We're sitting here at the boardroom table and there's... Lego pieces here that you and your you were telling me you and your team have built. So how important do you think that is into a startup or evolving a company? It's very important, and kind of the culture is. It's fun to create a new culture, having seen many different ones. Um, so what we've tried to do is make working at Modiface as fun as it possibly can be, and then listen to what our team members want. And so. We have Modiface days where we just take the day off and do random things. And so we have both days. Things like that really help make the, the environment you work at a good place to be. And so let's talk about the technology for a moment. Tell me about the facial pre-recognition. How does that work? So the idea is that when you see a photo or when you see a video, you need to know exactly where every feature is. So mm-hmm. the contour of the eye, the contour of the lips, so that we can apply makeup correctly. So for that, we've built a, um, a probabilistic model on, on what a face looks like. So if you, for example, as I'm looking at your face, I see that your eyes and your lips has, have a certain relationship. And so that helps us know that your eyes, maybe one is to the left, one is to the right, and the lips is below them, usually in the center. So we use information like that, but very detailed information to get a sense of exactly where the eyes and lips are, are located in, in the photo. But how is it so accurate? One of the things that astounded me when I opened up, and I have to tell you, I opened up the app and I probably spent from midnight until three in the morning playing with it because I was just having so much fun. And I really couldn't believe that I could turn left, I could turn right, and the makeup would stay on my face. How can that happen? It's a good question. So the way we train computers to learn and follow faces is very similar to how babies learn faces. They have to see quite a few examples. So when we initially launched Moniface six years ago, we didn't have many base databases. And so we had required people to upload a photo and manually move the points around. And so in doing so, they were aligning their photo, but also they were giving us information that trained our computer system, our learning system, almost like a mini brain, to learn what faces look like. And on different faces as well, different on, ethnicities and things like that? Exactly. So as more people of more ages uploaded photos, they uploaded fun photos, they uploaded photos of their boyfriends, and whatever the, the images they uploaded, we actually collected something close to about 100 million images. Wow. And so about half of those were not usable, either they were entertainment or they weren't calibrated correctly, but about 50 million were actually good images. 
and we use those to train our system. And with 15 million images, you can actually become much better than a, than a baby becomes at finding faces. So we've seen AR popularized by apps like Snapchat. How do you see it entering consumers' lives in the future? It already is starting to, to get into consumers' lives, but Snapchat is, of course, doing um, inter entertainment-type ads, which I believe has a lot of potential. We actually saw the potential for that um, about five years ago when Allergan was very much interested in these video effects for, for Botox and Juvederm. And we're seeing that more and more of that in the beauty industry now. That The idea is that AR is not something that you have to necessarily download an app or someplace you go. It's just everywhere. You go into a store, the mirrors there have AR that can show you different makeup and lipsticks. You go to the doctor and if you, if you have a certain mole or a certain um, scar and you, know, you want to see what it looks like or if it's removed, there's mirrors there that can help you. So it's just everywhere you go, it's an expectation that the technology is just there to help. And what would you say to someone who might say the critique that augmented reality is teaching people or training people to believe that there's an alternate reality that's better than their current reality? You know, I'm thinking about young girls who might be using the app and they're being trained to think that, you know, they would be more beautiful in that way. I think that point is, is valid and, and one has to be very careful because it is very easy with this technology to give the wrong perception, the perception that you don't look good enough. So I, I think there's a line. If you're changing someone's hair color or hairstyle or applying a lipstick, I think that's fun. I, I think people have been painting their faces for a long time, and so I, I don't necessarily see something wrong with trying on different lipstick colors or changing your hairstyle. But if it's something that alters your face shape, there are cases, as I mentioned, in, in a cosmetic surgery clinic, perhaps, or, or for burn victims, for example, where this technology makes sense, but use of that has to be carefully controlled. So it's all in the marketing, and with you being B2B, I mean, you do have consumer-facing apps, but your technology you're essentially selling to retailers, and then it's up to them to decide how they want to market it and apply it. Right. We work with brands, and, and we often are careful about what technology we provide them and how that's being used. We would never provide a, um, a face reshaping app, for example, to an app that targets teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so, well, speaking of apps that are for teenagers and women of my age, you have a partnership coming up with Sephora. What can you tell me about that? Well, we're very excited by it. We've been working on it for a long time. And the first step in this partnership is a, is a virtual makeup artist app that will be in the, in the Sephora uh, mobile app. You can try every single lipstick shade that Sephora carries, which is um, a few thousand, which is quite amazing. I want to understand how you were able to work with Sephora to make that happen. So they have, how many lipsticks did you say? Thousands and thousands. I, I imagine. Uh, so thousands and thousands of lipsticks, you would have to have that color pigment, right. be able to map it onto people's faces, and then also be able to connect them to that product if they wanted to eventually buy it. Is that right. correct? So what are the challenges in working with a company like Sephora on doing something like that, other than that's just a lot of lipstick? <laughs> right. So Sephora, first of all, is great. They're very much ahead of the curve when it comes to technology. So they have been wonderful to work with. The challenge in building a tool like this is that you simply have too many products, but the products need to be very accurate in the app. But there is no ability to manually go in and, and enter each lipstick and take each lipstick and, and measure it, at least initially. So what we did, we created a, a computer system, a computer program that would go into the Sephora site, scan every single shade, find photos of that product being used, and try to scan the information to replicate that in our database. Wow. So, so that was step one. 
And because that's a computer program, we could fine tune it. So we could run it once, see the effect, and then run it again. And we did that about 20 different times, so 20 iterations of that program with Sephora's team providing us feedback. So when that was stable, the next step was Sephora actually had experts going in and manually looking at the data, but not from scratch, starting from what we had initially and saying whether this color is good, whether the gloss should be more, maybe the lipstick finish is different. So we had feedback, essentially maybe feedback from at least 10,000 different data points on what things should be changed. And that all went into the app to make the coloring better. And, and what you see is really the end result of, of all that work. It's so mind-boggling to me that an app that is so fun and lighthearted on the surface is so detailed and data-driven on the back end of it. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's fascinating. So what do you imagine is the future for not only your relationship with Sephora, but Face and beauty retailers going from here? What's next? So um, we love putting our technology in mobile apps, but in stores, you know, that I think works quite nicely as well. So what you'll see is many brands will use our technology across the web, mobile, and in stores. And I think it has a lot of potential in those places. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. That was my conversation with Param Arabi, CEO and founder of Modiface, an augmented reality technology coming to a Sephora near you. To see the technology at work, we invite you to visit electricrunway.com. We have images and video content there as well. We'll also be sharing a link to the Sephora virtual artist app so you can download it and try it yourself. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, here's looking towards the future. All guests on the Electric Runway podcast are recorded with permission. Do you have a fashion tech story that you want to share? Get in touch with me. I'm Amanda at electricrunway.com. You can also tweet me at Amanda Costco or get in touch with electric underscore runway on Twitter and Instagram. Music from today's episode by Jeff Kale.